the Lord impresses upon me that I will repeat, especially when we're in a, in a certain series, I will repeat those things over and over and over again. And um, I sometimes I'm a little, it's almost like a, a safety net or something, you know. So it's like, a, like I, sometimes I'm reluctant to even step away from those things because I don't want to um, step outside of some things that I need to be repetitive about. Um, we are deliberately repetitive around here, praise God. But there's a list of things I want to get to tonight, and so I want to try to maybe forego some of the review that we would normally do. But let's at least begin in these verses, and we've turned to them several times in a row. We'll turn back to them tonight. It says, And when they saw him, him being Jesus, walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, the title of our current study is Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. I'm going to say it again. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Okay? Now, what about a heart that is void or empty or does not understand? Um, well, faith will have a hard time producing or flourishing or working at all in a heart that is void of or empty of understanding. So we see here that, um, I apologize, I didn't put that last one up, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. We said last week that a hardened heart doesn't necessarily mean what I think a lot of people interpret it to mean. We think of someone who has a hardened heart as someone who doesn't care, as someone who is insensitive towards other people, someone who maybe is, is brash or, or um, you know, just uh, difficult to be around. Um, we say, man, he or she is so hard-hearted. And I think because we have that comprehension or understanding of what it means to have a hardened heart, that we maybe sometimes fail to examine ourselves or consider that perhaps we have a hardened heart, amen, because what we really see here is that their hearts were hardened in the sense that their hearts were locked into a specific way of understanding things. Their hearts were set like, you know, you pour concrete and then you wait for the concrete to set. And once it has set, it has hardened. And once it is set and hardened, it's going to remain in the condition <laughs> that it's set and is hardened in. And so when Jesus said that they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts uh, was hardened, he was implying that the miracles that they had witnessed should have reshaped the way their hearts understood. But we see the miracle of the loaves, for example, um, it, it did not phase uh, their understanding. It did not um, change it at all, okay? And so we, we've said that we become set in our ways to the point of predictability because we become set in the way our hearts understand. Now, the bigger picture, and I will briefly review this, is that God has given to every one of us the measure of faith, Romans 12 and 3. And the measure of faith that He has dealt to us or shared with us is actually His faith. And we see in the earthly ministry of Jesus, while He did teach on and talk about faith a great deal, He spent 
way more time talking about the condition of our hearts. And we would even see when people would ask him, Lord, give us more faith, increase our faith. Jesus would say, you've got enough faith in essence. If you, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, it's enough to move a mountain. But what we see is that faith in our hearts is like a bulb in a lamp. And our first thought when the lamp isn't working that there must be a problem with the bulb. But sometimes it's nothing wrong with the bulb. There's a problem with the fixture the bulb is screwed into. And so in the same way, that's kind of what we're looking at now as we study this vast subject and important subject of faith. Is that many times we think there's something wrong with our faith when there's nothing at all wrong with our faith. The problem is with the heart that our faith resides in and operates from. And so specifically a hardened heart that is set in its way of understanding. And a heart that's set in its way of understanding will will predictably understand process. Remember we said understand means how we assess and how we process, how we sum things up and how we reason through them. And and, and if a heart is set, hardened, has become uh, fixed uh, with a, a certain way of understanding, then no matter what it is in our lives, um, we're going to understand it the same way over and over and over again. And, and, and this is why we often uh, reason ourselves to the same uh, uh, conclusion over and over and over again. And so we said last week that we have a word for this, and that word is stubborn, um, where our hearts um, are set in a specific way. And so this creates frustration because we often desire conclusions in our lives that our reasoning will never take us to. We desire breakthroughs in our lives that will never come because our understanding has been locked in uh, to a direction uh, away from faith instead of deeper into it. Now, in the course of our study, we've looked at Abraham and how Abraham was able to conceive in his heart, um, picture, imagine, understand things in his heart that enabled his faith to produce amazing results in his life. Even to the point of God asking him to, to offer uh, Isaac as a sacrifice, and, and Abraham willingly uh, doing that, um, not, not out of fear, not out of uh, anxiety and angst and stress, but out of joy and anticipation and excitement. And we see this in Hebrews 11 and 19. It says that, that he was accounting God able to raise him up, raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. In other words, he had already conceived in his heart God raising Isaac up. Now, this is, I'm not trying to take, listen to me please, I'm not trying to take anything away from Abraham's faith, okay? But Abraham's measure of faith is no different than the measure of faith God's given to every person in this room, every person listening to me right now. But we see Abraham's faith producing results in his life that other people's measure of faith is not necessarily producing in their lives. And so you have to start asking yourself then, what is the difference? If it's the same measure of faith, why will some people's faith produce amazing results while other people's faith produces little to no results in their lives? And it goes back then to, if the bulb is the same, there must be a difference in the fixture. 
if, if, if the bulb, if, if everybody's been given the same light bulb and some people's light bulb burns very brightly and other people's bulb is burning little to, to none at all, then we can't say it's a problem with the bulb. We have to look at the, the, the fixture that the bulb resides in and functions from. And so if the measure of faith is the measure of faith and God has dealt the measure of faith to every man and, and some people's faith is doing things that other people's faith is not, we can't say it's a problem with the faith. We have to say, it, and it only leads one other option, it has to be a problem with the heart. So when Jesus talked to us about faith, and one of the greatest things he ever taught us about faith, remember he said, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt. See, doubting in the heart, this is a problem with the heart that the faith resides in and functions from. The faith is fine. It's just we're allowing something into our heart that's overriding and eclipsing the faith and preventing it from doing what God intended for it to do, preventing it from accomplishing what God intended for it to accomplish in our lives. So when we look at Abraham... We have to look at, the, at his understanding. And when God first told him that, him and, that, that Sarah and Abraham were going to have um, a, a, a child, Abraham's understanding was such that it made him laugh out loud. His understanding, in other words, his ability to, to, to imagine, his ability to conceive, I don't mean physically, before they ever conceived physically, they had to conceive it mentally and spiritually. They had to conceive it and imagine it and picture it in their hearts understand that with God all things are possible. Understand that God is able to do what he said he would do. Understand, right? Remember when they laughed? Uh, the Lord responded. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And so these are the things that begin to shape Abraham's understanding. Because remember, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. So I, I really like this, the Passion Translation, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. Now, I want us to get to this centurion. Because the, the centurion um, displayed um, faith to um, a level that Jesus said he had not seen in all of Israel. Um, the centurion operated in faith in a way that, that amazed Jesus. It caused Jesus to marvel. Now, we also see where Jesus marveled at people's unbelief. And he marveled that after all his disciples had heard and experienced that their hearts were still hardened and they were still assessing and processing things the way they were before they ever experienced or saw the first miracle, um, much less all the others on top of those. Okay, But before I do that, I just want to make one, I just want to make one simple connection here. If you're still on the fence about this faith flourishing in an understanding heart. And here is how... Here's the simple statement. Okay, I'll put it on the screen. Confidence rises and falls with the level of your understanding. Confidence, don't overthink this, it's very simple. Confidence rises and falls with the level of your understanding. What does this mean? It means the more you understand about something, the greater your confidence is where that thing is concerned. And the less you understand about something, the less confident you are where that thing is concerned. Compare taking a test on a subject you understand 
to taking a test on a subject you do not understand. If you understand the material, I'm not saying there you know, may still be a little bit of anxiety about the test, but if you understand the material that you're about to be tested on, okay, um, I mentioned you know, a month or so ago I had a big test that I had to take for a, 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 a certification, and 160-something questions. But um, I, I, was, I was confident taking that test because there were things in the 40-hour training that I had um, that I had been trained on um, for years now. There were concepts and, and counseling modalities and recovery approaches and statistics and things that, that I had heard and knew about. I mean, there was a lot of new things that I learned and things that I knew a little bit about that I now knew more about. But when it came to the test, I went into that test with a, with a very high level of confidence because of the understanding that I had about the material I was about to be tested on. Okay? Now, if you've ever taken a test of that nature where you did not have a, a degree of understanding, <laughs> then obviously your confidence level rises and falls with the level of your understanding. Um, the same could be true of doing a job um, or completing an assignment. Um, if, if your boss asks you to do something that you understand and you know how to do it, then you have a very high level of confidence based upon the understanding that you have that you can complete the assignment and, and, and to his satisfaction and, 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 and in the time frame that he's asking you to do it in. If he's asking you to do something you do not understand, then your confidence, I'm not saying you won't have any, but you're not nearly as confident, right, as you would be if you had the understanding. Now, one last, just building on this thought, which has the greater temptation for worry? A situation you understand or a situation you do not? See, if you understand a situation, you're not nearly as tempted to worry about it as you would be tempted to worry about a situation that you do not understand, that, that, that you're, you're not sure what's going on, you're not sure what to expect, you're not sure what the doctor's going to say, you're not sure uh, about these things. So again, um, the more we understand about, uh, and I'm just talking naturally now, because, you know, many times what is true in, in terms of a spiritual principle or truth is going to be reflected in a natural or a physical principle or truth. So if confidence rises and falls with the level of our understanding, um, how much more um, does our faith rise and fall with the level of our understanding? God didn't say His people perish for, for um, a lack of faith. <laughs> Are you with me? Why would, he, why would he, is faith not important to our victory? Is faith not important to our success? Is faith not important to our overcoming? Absolutely. But he knew the measure of faith that he had given to us was more than enough to overcome this world. It's not that we lack faith. It's that we lack understanding. It's, it's that we lack the knowledge uh, on how to use the faith. That's why he didn't say the principal thing is faith. He said the principal thing is wisdom. The principal thing is knowledge. And all you're getting, get understanding cry out for understanding. We looked at those verses last week. Well, it's not that he's trying to somehow discount the importance of faith, but he, again, Father knows that he's given to every person the measure of faith. But if we have no understanding, if we have no knowledge, if we have no wisdom where that faith is concerned, 
we can live our whole lives with enough faith inside of us to change the world and everything about our life reality and never, ever, ever tap into it because of a lack of understanding. So faith will flourish in an understanding heart. I believe the key to Abraham's great faith was his understanding heart. Now let's go, praise God, to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse number 5, okay? This is, um, we're going to look now at the story of the centurion, um, and we'll get as far into this as we can, and whatever we don't have time for tonight, we'll finish next week. I'm not going to rush through these things, because I want us to, uh, to take some time here and, uh, and learn some things, all right? Now... As we've already mentioned, the centurion's display of faith um, was the greatest that Jesus had witnessed in all of Israel. And as we're learning about faith flourishing and understanding heart, I want us to examine tonight, or begin to examine tonight, what it was that the centurion understood so here, here, is, here is what I'm wanting you to consider tonight. Is that when this centurion approached Jesus about the healing of his servant, the centurion had in his heart the same measure of faith that every one of Jesus' disciples had in their hearts. But we see the centurion's faith on such tremendous display that Jesus marvels at it. So you to, to, to analyze this, to, to take a step back and say, okay, what can we learn from this? What, what can we take away from this? You know, if, you, if you're going to compare the, the disciples to the centurion, I mean, you know, there's so many things that the disciples excel in. I mean, they were Jewish. They, they were descendants of Abraham. The centurion was not. I mean, you know, they were trained in the ways of God. They had, they had followed Jesus around. They had all the stuff they had experienced and witnessed. In other words, if you had to guess without knowing anything about it, which one of them um, was going to display the greatest, you know, faith for Jesus, you would pick any one of the disciples before you would pick the centurion. And yet it was the centurion that used the measure of faith God had given to him in a way that caused Jesus to marvel. And the other side of that coin, the disciples' hardness of heart and, and, um, uh, and, and lack of understanding caused Jesus to marvel in a negative sense. So they're almost polar opposites here. You, you can make a case for that in the sense of, 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 of their understanding. So, again, I'm offering to you, pray about it if you think I'm wrong, it's okay, but I'm offering to you that the difference is understanding. The difference is understanding. Okay? Now, let's look at it. Verse number 5, it says, Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a certain, a centurion rather, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. 
The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I would have loved to have seen the look on Jesus' face right then. I believe he went something like that, like, check this out. We got us a live one here, boys. You know, I mean, that. amen. He goes on to say, the centurion speaking, verse 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now he's going to say some other things here. Let's skip down for sake of time. Verse 13. After Jesus said what he said about other people and what they'd witnessed, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but did you hear the centurion saying anything about believing? Did he use the word faith? Did he use the word believe? No, the centurion never used these words. And yet, what we see displayed in him, right, was, in other words, what did he say? What What did he communicate to Jesus? He communicated to him understanding. He communicated to him that he understood authority. He communicated to him that he understood that Jesus was a man under authority. And that because he was a man under authority, he was a man who had authority. Every word that was coming out of his mouth was communicating what he understood about the situation, what he understood that that was necessary for the situation to be resolved. And yet, when it was all buttoned up and finished, Jesus says to him, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. This this man was expressing understanding, but he was also making a faith confession. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know because we don't have it here specifically, but I don't think this centurion thought of himself as making a faith confession. In other words, I don't, I don't, when this, when Jesus said, I hadn't seen faith like this in all of Israel, I bet the centurion was going like, well, what is faith, sir? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't think he realized that. And yet, based upon what he understood now. I'll speak for myself and you decide if this is for you or not, but I've decided that I'm crying out for understanding. I've decided that the measure of faith that my father gave me is is more than enough faith to do everything and then some he'll ever need me to do to receive everything he has for me to receive, okay? And that the problem is not my faith, the problem is my understanding heart. Amen, okay? And so because of that, when I find a case study like this of someone who had such an understanding heart that it caused their faith to display in a way that caused Jesus to marvel, I want to look closely at what it was they understood so that I can learn and grow in my understanding. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now, what did this centurion understand about healing 
Now listen, maybe healing isn't what you need tonight. Maybe you need a financial breakthrough or some breakthrough in your family. So it, it, it all applies, okay? But in this particular situation, in this particular case study, he had a servant who wasn't just sick and dying, but he was in misery. He was suffering. And so he comes to Jesus for healing, all right? So I know I'm probably belaboring this, but just stay with me now. We've already established, but let me remind you, that Jesus clearly understood things differently from everybody around him. Right? Okay? And, and so that's obvious. If you read the scriptures, it's obvious that Jesus understood things differently from everybody around him, but it's also obvious in scriptures that he was trying with everything in him to, to help everybody around him understand things the way he understood them. It wasn't like, well, I understand it this way. You never will, bless your darling hearts. No, he's like, can't you see this? Lift up your eyes. Look at these people. Don't you see? You know, he's, he's on, at every opportunity, he's, he's encouraging them and, and working with them to help them understand things the way that he understood them. All right, now, if we come to this centurion, clearly there is a difference in the way he understands things. What does understand mean? The way he assessed the situation and the way he processed it, right? So he's, he has a different perspective here, and it's a breath of fresh air to Jesus, Okay. So what did the centurion understand about healing that maybe we do not or maybe others do not? Okay, now, I got 10. I don't know if we're going to get to 10 tonight. But here's number one. Okay, number one. It seemed logical to the centurion that Jesus would do for his servant what he had freely done for many others. It seemed logical to him. There's an understanding heart is, again, is, is, is the way, you know, you look at this. And so he's thinking, Jesus has done this for other people. And so if, if he'll do it for other people, then it only seems logical to me that he would do it for my servant as well. Now, don't overlook this. Don't overlook this. Because there's a whole lot of folks that have no problem believing that Jesus has healed other people. But they have a real issue when it comes to him doing for them what he has clearly done for other people. That's a wrong understanding. And and I think we can make a case that the centurion, um, you know, it only seemed logical. This is how he understood it. This, This was how his mind, if you will, and his heart processed this. Right? So the opposite of this would be, he's done it for other people, but I don't think he will do it for me. See, this is how a lot of people understand healing, and guess what that does to the faith that resides in the fixture of their heart? It stifles it. It puts a wet blanket on it. See, we, we, we need to start, and we sing it, there's songs, all kinds of songs that have you know, similar lyrics in them, you know, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Amen. We, we, we need that kind of understanding in our heart that what he's, I like to say it this way. I mean, if we just really want to get right down to it, if he ever did it for one person, he's, he's willing to do it for any person. Okay? Now, number two. The centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone 
he understood that Jesus was not acting alone. What did he say? He said, I also am a man under authority. In other words, (laughs) I know someone who's under authority when I see them. And Jesus, you are clearly a man under a higher authority. You are clearly a man in submission to something that I don't necessarily understand and cannot see. But it's clear to me that you have backing. It's clear to me that you represent something greater than yourself. It's clear to me that there is a force and an authority behind you that doesn't just command people, but commands demons, commands sickness, commands diseases. Now, you have to understand a centurion to understand how this centurion thought. This centurion was a representative of the Roman Empire. He was a man who had submitted himself to that kingdom. And because he was in submission to that kingdom, that kingdom had invested within him tremendous power and authority. Because he was a man under authority, he recognized that was what gave him the authority to operate the way that he operated. So when he walked up into the to the midst of 600 armed men and told them what to do, it wasn't just him acting in his name, but it was him acting in the name of Caesar. That it was no different than Caesar giving that command. And if any man in that regiment disobeyed his command, it wasn't just that they were disobeying or rejecting him, but they were de facto disobeying and rejecting Caesar himself. So the centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone, that there was a king and there was a kingdom and there was a government that was behind him, that was backing him, that was enforcing every word that he spoke out of his mouth. I call it a kingdom mindset. Now, remember... If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Okay? This is what's connected to this. Again, I don't know what the centurion had heard Jesus say. I don't know what all he knew about Jesus' earthly... Obviously, he knew enough, right? But I don't know what all he understood about this. I mean, Jesus had clearly said publicly many times... To receive me is to receive my father. To reject me is to reject my father. You can't love my father and hate me. You can't receive from my father and not receive from me. You can't receive from me and not receive from my father. Me and my father are one. So clearly this was something that, that Jesus um, you know, operated under this. And whether it was just the fact that that Jesus had authority, and in order to have authority, you have to be under authority. Exactly what I don't, what the, what the centurion knew, I don't know. But what he understood, you see, there's a difference between knowing something and understanding. I don't know what all he knew, but I do know what he understood based upon what he said. Okay. Now, I'm going to just 
give you some verses. Okay, I could have compiled a lot longer list, but I wanted to stay within one gospel so that you wouldn't think I was just repeating the same um, you know, situation from different gospel writers. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. Let me, let's do something, okay? Let's take a deep breath. All right, and I want you to hear these verses for the first time again, okay? Um, in other words, you've never heard anything about this before. I want you to let this land on your heart like you've never heard it before, okay? All right? Now, Matthew 4 and 24. Then his fame, Jesus' fame, went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics. And what did Jesus do? He healed them. Okay? Now we're going to go from... um, All right. Thank you, Jesus. I had a verse copy in my notes, and it uh, it copied twice. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, let's go to Matthew eight and sixteen. And I apologize if I was to change the verse. Guess what? It would go right back to four twenty four. Okay. So I meant to put Matthew eight sixteen. When I copied and pasted it, this one stayed in the clipboard, I guess. So it's not on the screen, but Matthew eight sixteen. So Matthew 4, now Matthew 8. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed a few who were sick. Healed most who were sick. Healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, saying, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Okay. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15. So we've gone 4, 8, now 12. It's an easy way for you to remember this. Matthew 12 and 15. But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed Him, And there it is again. And he healed them all. He healed them all. Here's the question, okay? Jesus healed them all. How should this truth shape our understanding of healing? See, it's so easy to talk about the disciples who witnessed all of these miracles and yet it never changed their understanding of miracles. They witnessed Jesus feeding people with a little boy's lunch and then they get in a boat and they think they're going to starve to death because they forgot to pack a lunch. And Jesus is just like throwing his hands up in the air. It's like, are your hearts still hardened? Why why do you think you're going to go hungry? You should never, ever, ever another second in your life think you're going to go hungry based upon what you've seen me do. 
But their understanding never changed. It never shaped their understanding. It never reshaped their understanding. So now we have it recorded over and over and over again in the scriptures where large crowds of people came to Jesus. There were lots and lots of sick people of all kinds of sickness and diseases. And he healed every single sick person in the bunch. And he did it time again and time again and time again. Yet we, we still question whether or not he'll heal us. <laughs> See, it, ha- it hasn't shaped our understanding. Our understanding of healing should be this. He healed them all and he still does. Okay, now, you say, yeah, but that was during Jesus' earthly ministry. Oh, contraire, mon frere. Acts 5 and 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits... Where's Jesus at this point? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And yet in this large multitude gathered from surrounding cities. And it wasn't just that people showed up there to see what was going on and it turns out some of them were sick. No, no. They deliberately went and found sick people to bring. It says they bringing sick people. Are you seeing this? So you, you have to understand something now. We, I'm, sh- I'm sure every person in this room knows somebody that, that's, that is sick and could, and could benefit from healing, okay? But in their day, they didn't have the medical science that we have. They didn't have the doctors and the, and, and the sophisticated med. They didn't have penicillin yet. Um, they, didn't, they had it. They didn't know it, right? Okay. So you, you're talking about, um, I mean, so many sick people. What was the disciples' understanding at this point? <laughs> and they were all healed. And they were all healed. We've seen it so many times over the years here at Heritage. You know, some of us that were raised in church tend to still struggle with some things that, you know, somebody comes in off the streets. Don't know anything. Don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. Gets born again. Gets filled with the Spirit, and they're out getting people saved, getting people healed, casting out demons. You know, and and it's because they haven't they haven't had their understanding tainted by religion. In other words, they didn't they didn't they didn't listen to all those years of incorrect preaching. You know, sometimes God does, sometimes God doesn't. And now all of a sudden, and and, and that's what's going on here with the centurion. You, you, got, you got all these folks who could quote the Old Testament, all this other stuff. Centurion didn't know nothing about that, but he did understand authority. He did understand that Jesus wasn't acting alone. He did understand that Jesus was representing something much bigger than himself. Now, if you, if you walk that back then, and I'm not trying to act like Rome was some kind of perfect government empire because it was not. They, they were very brutal people. But... If you were a citizen of Rome, you had rights, privileges, and benefits that belonged to you. And and they didn't just belong to one person. They belonged to every citizen. And And I can't help but think that this is part of his understanding that... Jesus was not acting along. There was, there was a government behind him, a kingdom behind him 
authority behind him. And it was apparent to this centurion that the authority that was backing Jesus wanted everybody well. See, the centurions wanted, it's called Pax Romana, the, 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 the centurions. The Romans wanted peace for everybody. Now, it was, it was an iron fist with a velvet glove, <clears throat> but that was the only way they understood how to, to bring peace. This is why when they, when they conquered Israel, they let Israel keep their king. Now, Caesar was over him. Have you ever wondered why, you know, they take Jesus before Herod? And 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 because Herod is is the is the king of, of of Israel, right? But but there's a king over Herod. Are you following what I'm saying? This was the this was the the Roman mindset. See, they they wanted them to keep worshiping their God and making their animal sacrifices. But where it finally came to a head was was Rome. Just you know, they's like, well, look, you use your temple on this day. These other groups ought to be able to use it on another day. And they're like, you're not going to profane our temple. You're not going to bring other gods and worship them in our temple. And, and Rome was like, look, worship your God. We don't care. But we're going to let these people worship their God. And of course, I'm not saying they should have let them do that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just trying to show you the mindset behind a, 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 a Roman and, and, and how they fought. And, and, and so it was clear to this centurion that although he wasn't of Jesus' lineage, he wasn't a Jewish man, but whoever was backing Jesus wanted people well. Are you seeing this? You might could even say it this way, and I, and I got a list of ten, and I was, I'm thinking about more, so we'll get there. But how about this one, okay? I, be, I believe that, <clears throat> I believe that this, this is just a bonus, amen? I believe the centurion understood that healing was something Jesus enjoyed doing. Do you have that understanding that healing is something he enjoys doing? Now think for a minute, because we're supposed to be doing it too, right? We're supposed to be laying our hands on the sick and sick recovering, right? So just, I'm not, when I say imagine for a moment, I mean, picture yourself for a moment, you know? Um, I, I have been blessed, a lot of people in this room have been blessed over the years with the honor of laying hands on people and the Lord healing those people, right? Dude, I enjoy doing that. For the record, I mean, it's like, a, oh, we got to go heal somebody else. Are you kidding me? No, I mean, Jesus is like, come on, bring it on. And I think that was obvious to the centurion. Amen. All right. I can't believe we only got to number three. I'm going to give you number three and then we'll pray. Number three. The centurion understood that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease and they would do whatever Jesus told them to do. He understood that. I think that maybe is kind of low-hanging fruit there, but it certainly deserves to be mentioned. Stand with me tonight. The centurion understood that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease and they would do whatever Jesus told them to do. That was part of his understanding. That if Jesus told fever to leave, fever would leave. That if Jesus told a blind man to see, the blind man would see. If Jesus told a crippled man to take up his bed and walk, then the crippled man would be able, would receive strength in his legs, and would take up his bed, and not only 
would he take up his bed and walk? You understand, you've got to learn how to walk. Come on now. Jesus, healing people that were born lame, had never walked, had never learned how to walk. Even people who knew how to walk and had some injury have to learn how to walk again. No, no, Jesus, <laughs> come on now. The healing was so complete that the part of your brain that, that handles the balancing and all that's involved in learning how to walk was, was just, all that was just downloaded into him. He'd tell a crippled man, take up your bed and walk, carry it home, right? And they would pick it up and carry it home. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. And, and the centurion understood that if this man speaks a word to an illness or a demon or a fever, it obeys him in the same way my soldiers obey me. Wow. Man. Help us understand that. Come on now. Help us understand that, Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the things that you're showing us. Lord, help us, Father. We, Lord, we're, not, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of the truth. Lord, I'm asking you. We're crying out for understanding tonight, Lord. And Father, part of that understanding is, is a willingness on my part, a willingness on each person's part, Lord, to be corrected where our understanding is wrong, where we understand it to be one way and it's, and it's not that way at all. And so, Jesus, you weren't acting alone. You, you were expressing to us your Father's eternal will that all be healed. It's something you enjoy doing. And if you've done it for one, you'll do it for us. But you're no respecter of persons. Father, help us not to be so set in our way of understanding things that it limits our faith's ability to do what only faith can do in our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in with us tonight. Have a great rest of your week. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday, if not before. Amen. Good things coming.